Good morning, my name is Doug Hill. How's the sound? Is it too loud? I'm, my, my ears are, are going, so it sounds good to me. Sounds good? Okay. My name is Doug Hill. I'm an elder here at Grace Presbyterian Church. Uh, Ryan has asked me to preach today to give him a break, and so I'm going to get ready to do that. Before we do, let's pray. Let everyone be seated here. Let's ask for God's blessing. Father, we pray like the psalmist, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, we are strangers in the earth. Hide not your commandments from us. We pray for a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start with a question. If you were God, and thank God we're not, right? But if you were God and you were going to come to the earth and show people what you were like, how would you appear? I think for me, I would appear kind of like the anti-hero Jesus. It's kind of what we see in Revelation chapter 1. Head and hair, pure white. His face blazing. Eyes flaming fire. A shining aura all around him. A sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. His voice roaring in majesty like a waterfall. That's our Jesus, our judge and coming king. But when he came the first time, how did he actually come? When he manifested himself in the flesh, when he showed us what he would talk and act and react as a human being, so that as we, when we read the Gospels, we read the story, we can behold as in a mirror the very glory of the Lord. What did he do? He became a baby of poor parents and preached good news to the poor and the poor in spirit. And he showed us how kind he is at heart. I know some of you uh, struggle with believing that God really loves you. You know it in your head, but it hasn't really gotten into your bones. This sounds loud to me. Is it good? So you know, you know God loves you, but it, you, don't, you don't live like it, okay? And I just want to say that's where the strength for living the Christian life comes from, from believing that God is really kind and that he's really kind to you. Proverbs 19 says, what is desired of a man is his kindness. And we can say the same about God. What we really want for him is to be kind and to be kind to us. This is like the holy of holies of the character of God. Now some people cheapen it, but that doesn't make it any less true. And the devil, I think, loves to snatch this word out of our hearts. This is a branch, this is a bird. God is very kind. With that sin you just committed, God is very kind. Oh, you did a good deed, all right, but there was plenty of sin in that. God is always kind. Then why did that happen to your loved one? God is kind. Then why can't you find a spouse? God is kind. Then why do some people, why do some people receive good things from God and they're evil and I don't? And Satan snatches the word out of our hearts. So what I've done in preparation for this sermon, and it was really fun, is I read through the Gospels through this lens. Where is Jesus kind? 
in the Gospels. <clears throat> the last verse of the Gospels in John, he says, many of the things which Jesus did, if they were written about in detail, I suppose the world couldn't contain that many books. I'm glad he said the word suppose, because I'm thinking, come on, John, the world's a big place. All right, and books can contain a lot of information. And Jesus was only in, you know, full, whatever, ministry for three years, so I think we could get them all in there. But I will tell you this, I'm just one person looking at one aspect, kindness, of one aspect, love of Jesus. And I've got enough material for six or seven sermons, right? So there is a, there is a lot uh, that we can say about Jesus. Okay, so erase everything I've said. If I had to start over, here's what I would say. Jesus is very kind, and I want to prove it to you this morning in such a way that you'll never doubt it again. So we see it first, um, and I'm just going chronologically through the Gospels. We see it first in the calling of Andrew and John. Andrew and John, two of John the Baptist's disciples, start following Jesus. And Jesus is walking along, and all of a sudden there's two guys behind him. Jesus says, what do you want? And the disciples say, teacher, where are you staying? Are they into real estate now? I mean, sometimes the, God, the, the disciples, they, I think they get they're frustrated. They don't know what they're asking. Teacher, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And they hang out with him for the rest of the day. And the point for us is, Jesus wants to hang out with us. Do you believe that? I mean, as we're reading the Bible, of course, God's speaking to us. We pray, we're speaking to God. But even, you know, doing the dishes, talk to him. Reading a novel, bring him in, include him, talk to him. Hoeing the garden, that's not one thing I do, but talk to him. Include him in what you're doing. One Puritan said, he loves to hear us spend our mouths. If you're around others at the office, you might need to keep a lid on it because going around talking to yourself looks a little strange. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, Psalm 147, in them that hope in his mercy. All right? We next see the kindness of Jesus, or at least I did. Uh, he goes, he makes a journey north, and he stops at the well of Sychar so that he sees the woman at the well. Now, in the Gospel of John, he had just got through speaking with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a Jewish rabbi, and the next person we see him talking to is a woman at this well. And the contrast could not be greater. Here's Nicodemus, a knowledgeable, righteous, proud, master teacher in Israel. And a woman of Samaria. Now that's two strikes. Wrong nation, wrong gender. The Samaritans were scum in the eyes of the Jews. So it's surprising that Jesus speaks to her, but Jesus is kind he doesn't show partiality. He doesn't like one group of people over another. The more surprising, though, in context, is that Jesus is talking to a woman. If Nicodemus would have seen this woman at the well and not Jesus, he would never have talked to her. Not because she was a Samaritan, but because she was a woman. The rabbis taught that it was a shame to speak to a woman in public, even if it's your wife. And not just talking to this woman, but he's teaching her. Their precept was, it's better to burn the law than teach it to a woman. Jesus is not like that. Just stating the obvious, Jesus is kind to women. And we say, duh, of course, 
But it hasn't always been like that, and it certainly wasn't like that in Jesus' day. Okay, Jesus' first two sermons. He begins to preach. He's at his hometown in Nazareth, and he preaches his first sermon. I would title it, Good News to the Poor. It was a two-point sermon, and they had to infer the lesson. Point one, Elijah was sent to one widow, a foreigner. Point two, Elisha was sent to one leper, a Gentile. So what lessons I infer from this short sermon are, do you feel alone like a single widow? Do you feel like you don't belong like a foreigner? Do you feel unclean like a leper? Jesus was sent for you. What did they do to the kind Jesus? The audience tried to throw him off a cliff, but the common people heard him gladly. His second sermon, I would title The Beatitudes. That's what we call it. Uh, The main point, it's as if he's saying, I want to show you first how to have an abundant and beautiful life, both here and in heaven. He tells the poor in spirit, the downtrodden, this life is just the rehearsal for eternity. In the next life, everything will be yours. The last here will be the first in the kingdom of heaven. He tells people to forgive, to be free from petty anxieties and the love of money, and that he will send them an abiding spirit to accomplish this. He tells us to ask that God is pleased when we ask him for his good gifts. And so what do we learn from our kind Savior? Do you want an abundant, beautiful life? Are you willing to repent and learn from Jesus, who is meek and lowly in heart? What that would look like, because he is very kind. And he wants to do this for us. Jesus calls more disciples. I think if I were Jesus, I'd have like four disciples. I don't know. The more people you get, the more trouble. Anyway, sorry. Shouldn't have said that. So Jesus calls more disciples. He calls Peter and changes his name from hearer, Simon, to the rock. That's what what they would have heard. The rock or rock man. Of course, the Hebrews believed that names revealed character. And the point for us here is Jesus knows what's best in us, what our best inner qualities are that are his gifts and reflect him. And he thinks about us in this way. He calls John and James the name Thunderer, the the Thunder Boys. John? the loving disciple John. Yeah, but he had in him real thunder. He then calls Nathanael, and the first thing he says about him in front of everyone is, behold, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Honest praise from the Son of God directly to Nathanael. Here's a question. Do you ever receive praise from Jesus? We praise our children. We're supposed to praise our spouse. Can you hear, can you ever hear God saying, well done, good and faithful servant? Now I know that we're also supposed to have the attitude that when we've done everything we're commanded, we're supposed to just say we're just unprofitable servants. We're supposed to have that. But we're also supposed to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Levi, 
or Matthew is called. Levi was his Jewish name, Matthew, his Galilean name. He's working for the IRS. He's a Jewish tax collector, but he's working for their enemies, the Romans. There were two sorts of tax collectors, and he was the worst sort. The rabbis taught that repentance for such as him was next to impossible. Jesus looks directly at him and calls him to be an apostle. So what does Matthew do? What would you do? Matthew, he has a big old party. And he invites not only the usuals, the tax collectors, the Gentile sinners of all sorts, but he invites Jesus and his new disciples. Awkward. I love the scene in Jesus of Nazareth. Who's seen Jesus of Nazareth? Miniseries, 1977, six hours. Oh, come on. All right, so you need to go buy it on Blu-ray. It came out last year on Blu-ray, and you need to watch it uh, yearly. So it's the best Jesus by far, hands down. So anyway, so there's a scene in Jesus of Nazareth about this calling of Matthew. In the movie, it's nighttime, and they're in Matthew's house, and there's about 30 people there drinking, laughing, groping, and music. It's a party. Outside, the disciples who know this tax collector who works on the shore of their lake, they tell Jesus how wrong before God this is to eat with these people and how damaging it will be to his reputation and cause. Jesus appears at the open door. Matthew sees him. Matthew says, Quiet! Jesus comes in, removes the covering from his head. He looks around he says, Peace be with you. Matthew walks slowly toward Jesus in unbelief. Thank you for coming to my house. Jesus shakes his head slightly and smiles. And Matthew says, Rabbi. And he smiles and says, you are welcome. Jesus sits among them as the disciples wait in a group by the door. Matthew tells a seated prostitute, move. But Jesus said, no, no, I'll sit there. One tax collector speaks up. Rabbi, we want to hear your words. A prostitute, please speak to us. Matthew, no, 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 let's eat first. Another prostitute, let him decide. And Jesus, smiling, said, no, I'd like to tell you a story. Matthew makes everyone sit down and he shushes them. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And he proceeds to tell the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. When he finishes about the younger brother in the story and starts telling the older brother's reaction, the camera cuts to his Jewish disciples at the door. Jesus, in the voice of the older brother, My younger brother comes back, and for him you kill the fatted calf. And the father said, Please, please. And Jesus, who's standing by this time, turns and looks pleadingly at Peter, and the disciples, and says in the Father's voice, try to understand, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours, but it is right to celebrate. Your brother was dead, and he looks at the tax collectors and the prostitutes, and is alive again. Matthew slowly rises. Jesus says, looking back at Peter, he was lost and is found. At this point, Peter kind of thrusts himself into the room, and you can see he doesn't want to do it. The other disciples follow him, and Peter says, Forgive me, Master. I am 
looking down ashamed, tearing up. I'm just a stupid man. Jesus walks over to him and puts his hand on Peter's neck and slowly walks Peter over to Matthew and the two face each other. Peter puts his hand on Matthew's shoulder and Matthew places his hand on Peter's. And that's the end of the scene. In thinking about the call of Matthew uh, while I'm here, a great difference between Christianity and all other religions is that the second person of the Trinity came as a man and because he was the embodiment of forgiveness, he said, come and welcome sinner, come, just as you are, and I will forgive you and clean you up. Other religions say you must be a penitent in some way first, then you're ready to come to God. Okay, while Jesus is in Capernaum, he stays at Peter's house. When he walks in, he sees Peter's mother-in-law. That's important. She's sick with a high fever. Peter and Andrew ask him to heal her. He touches her hand. He takes her by the hand, helps her to her feet, healing her the entire time. It's just the small things that Jesus does. He sees you when you're sick. And maybe it's just a fever. Maybe it's just a cold. I think in this case it was a pretty serious fever. But Jesus is very close to you, even if you don't physically feel it. He's, in the Gospels, he's always touching the sick. He always touches them. I don't know about you, but I don't really like when people just, there's, there are certain people who just, they're just touchy. You know what I'm talking about? It's like they talk to you, that, the words are fine, but you didn't have to add the touch, you know. I feel like you're manipulating me and, you know, let's, let's just keep that bubble there or whatever it is. But Jesus, always, he touches people. That evening at sundown, they bring all the sick and demon-possessed in the city and gather around Peter's door waiting to be healed. Jesus lays his hands on each one of them separately, Luke says. You are a separate person to Jesus. He deals with you as an individual. He has a personal relationship with you. You are unique. Another point is, you don't get on Jesus' nerves when you come to him again and again. He has time for you. He had time for everyone in the crowds. Jesus journeys to other towns in Galilee, preaching and healing. In one of these cities, a man sees him and falls on his face and beseeches Jesus to heal him. This man is a leper. The rabbis had many remedies, medicines, conjurations for all kinds of diseases, but they had nothing for leprosy. It was incurable. One of their titles for the Messiah was the leprous one because they pictured him as a king seated in the entrance to Rome, surrounded by and relieving all misery and disease, even leprosy. In Leviticus 13, the law for lepers was this. Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed which were tokens of mourning. They must cover their mouths and call out, unclean, unclean. As long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. So in Jesus' day, this, this meant that this man couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't even go to Jerusalem or even any, un, any walled town. The rabbis wouldn't go near them. William Thompson, in his famous 19th century work, The Land and the Book, he describes the lepers he saw in Israel in his day in this way. The hair falls from the head and eyebrows, 
the nails loosen, decay, and drop off. Joint after joint of the fingers and toes shrink up and slowly fall away. The gums are absorbed and the teeth disappear. The nose, the eyes, the tongue, and the palate are slowly consumed. So this was a living death and a picture of complete moral death. And this leper says to Jesus, if you want to, you could heal me. And what does Jesus say? Of course I want to. And filled with pity, he put his hand on him. His hand on the leper, an unclean, diseased, dirty, contagious person. Be clean. So the message for us is, if you're sick spiritually, do you hear Jesus saying, of course I want to heal you? Of course, we have to have the leper's great faith, which says, though I am unutterably filthy, I will still believe in the kindness of this man. What Jesus saw in the leper was something like this. You are beautiful as Tirzah, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one of them among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines also, and they praised her. Who is this that looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? You might wonder about physical healing. Does that mean Jesus heals all who ask immediately? No, but here's the more important point. If he doesn't, it means that in not healing you right away, he is showing even greater love than if he had healed you immediately. And I know that's hard to take sometimes, but he's kind. The inner heart of God is kindness. God's heart says, of course I want to. Can you believe that? Let's pray. Father, how hard it is sometimes to believe the love that you have for us. Give us a shield of faith that would block this fiery arrow of the wicked one who would tell us that you're not kind. May your kindness be our strength and our food. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.